What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name. And that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week and we explore a match chosen quite at random, historically either by myself or said guest, to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book, 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die, which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which, as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another Joining me again, he was here with me last week. He is LOP's, uh, or former LOP's, I guess, Brit Ress expert. His passion for the British professional wrestling scene runs very deep indeed. Uh, he was here last week to talk about Will Ospreay and Jimmy Havoc progress chapter 20. And this week, he's here to talk with me about another progress wrestling match. I'd like to welcome back Leaf. Thanks for having me again, Plan. Always a pleasure. Indeed. Um, the second match that we're talking about here for this British indie season on SEID, another one that you picked, Leaf. Uh, Walter, or Volta, I guess, defending the or, progress. Um, maybe even Volta Nakamura. <laughs> Quite. Um, defending the Progress World Championship against Tyler Bate at Chapter 76 Hello Wembley, which aired, I believe, 30th of September 2018. So a relatively recent match. Uh, and one that has that's taken place at a point in Progress Wrestling's history where it's really been able to expand beyond what you might think of as the cliché uh, indie wrestling promotion. The production value, the setting, everything about it didn't feel like something that you would relate to. Uh, mm. Well, it felt like a major wrestling promotion, I'll be honest, when I sat and watched really? it. And, and, I, and I have to be honest with you, Leaf. Um Obviously, I'm familiar with these two talents already. They appear in NXT UK, of course, and have been around NXT UK in case Tyler Bate for a good two, three years. Tyler Bate, uh, sorry, Walter for uh, at least a year, roughly. Um, 
so familiar with them, very familiar with their, with Bate's style of work in particular. One of the issues I've always had with Bate in WWE is that he has a propensity, his matches have a propensity to go to that zone that I don't like, where they start to get a bit silly in the sort of the final 10 minutes um, and they kind of lose any, any sense of maturity. But so when I sat down to watch this, I had a dread um, that that was what it was going to end mm. up being. Um, and it never does. And I, and I have to say that the everything about this, the, the production values, uh, the story they tell in the ring, the style of match they wrestle, uh, the maturity of, of everything they do, I absolutely loved it. I was hoping you would as well, and you made that point about Bates matches. It's almost as if that was being told in the story and as if Walter had those same assumptions of Bates as a wrestler. It was brilliant. What was it that made you pick this one out in particular? Um, well, I saw it live. Um, I, I was actually out. Oh, you were there? Week. Yeah, it was oh, um, September, September 30th was my birthday. So um, when oh, I saw that progress are holding. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. This airing in December, am I right? So <laughs> Round be 28 by then. But at the time, you know, I saw progress were putting on the pretty much the biggest British wrestling show in God knows how many years um, at Wembley Arena. It made sense to gather my friends, go down to London and see this huge show. And um, one, it's going to sound like a weird reason for choosing this, but we didn't actually get to see the format because the show was overrunning. Um, so they remember quite a lot of it fondly. I think we missed what ends up being around the last five minutes or so of the match. So okay. that the ending had always, um, I'd gone back to rewatch it, but you know, I'd seen part of the match twice in a sense, once live and once watching it, and I'd only seen the, the ending once by um, re-watching it. So it hadn't stuck in my mind. So I wanted to revisit that, but I'd also remembered exactly how how much the crowd were into it during the time. And um, I, I like the face-versus-face story being told without it leaning towards one guy playing the heel too much. Oh, they were, they were both baby faces? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Cool. Were you thinking um, the opposite there? I just assume, well, I you know I'm a, you know obviously I've watched a lot of NXT UK. I just assumed Volta was always the bad guy. Um, with that actually, um, Volta has now since turned heel within Progress as well, like he has done in NXT UK. Oh, okay. Um, but during this time, he had actually defended Travis Bank, who was a, uh, Travis Banks, who was a heel right um, champion. He was actually someone who the crowd had really gone behind, but. They obviously had the same type of support from his success in NXT UK as a real, you know, like aside from Pete Dunne, a real two top faces clash for um, their biggest event. It was, it's you, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't like to make comparisons, but akin to um, Rock Austin when they were both as top faces, they couldn't have really booked a bigger match um, without involving the Bruiserweight. Okay, well, I mean, you think that's... Uh, <laughs> I've got a hell of a comparison to, to make later. But um, the first thing I wanted to really sort of break down, because we're going to break this down um, over the next 30 minutes or so, as we always do here on SCID, um, is the production value of everything. Because I think WWE loyalists particularly, WWE lifers uh, like myself, are probably guilty of a, of a presumption that... Um, uh, an independent promotion will often have low or uh, often marked by low production values. Um, when you sit down to watch this, what you get is a show that is easily on par with 
um, in the way it's presented easily on par with NXT takeovers, um, but retains if if there's anything where it falls short of that, it's to its benefit because one of the issues, and I think this applies as much to NXT as to the main roster product uh, with WWE, of course, is is that the production values are too high. Everything feels soulless uh, and corporate, uh, and there's no grit there. And what you get here is you get that glossy finish but it retains a sense of grit and grime uh, and of and of something distinctly british um that I, that I think you know was there way back when with the world's leading wrestling promotion but hasn't been for for a long time um you get as well, i mean i wasn't so fond of the 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 streamers and I, I noticed that in the match we talked about last week you know and i know that um i think the guys who founded progress are big fans of japanese wrestling in particular so i can understand probably yeah. why they would want to bring that tradition in but um i prefer i would prefer if they if they kept to their own sense of individual identity, which is definitely there in droves nonetheless. And, and you know, you mentioned Volta Nakamura at the top. That is, of course, because his entrance theme begins with a pair of uh, violinists playing him to the ring. Um, and even that I liked because, you know, we talked about the entrances last week in the Havoc Osprey match. And I, I did feel like they tried a little bit too hard. While, and and I, again, you know, I don't want to keep harping on about them because we're here to talk about progress, but WWE are guilty of that as well when they do the special entrances and they have the you know, money coming out of their ears to do it. That it's, It often feels like it's trying too hard. I loved the restraint of it. You know, it was just a simple little touch. It made it feel special. It wasn't garish or over the top. Uh, and it suits Volta immensely as well because, you know, he's... Uh, is, Austrian, I think, or German, Volta. Um, and uh, a lot of people will, would probably look at his whole presentation uh, and, and, um, and, and maybe call it European or class it as distinctly European. I think it's positively Napoleonic. I mean, there's something that's very 19th century imperialism about him to his benefit. Um, the, his stance, the coat, you know, the color scheme, everything about it, the music... Uh, he's such a compelling character uh, to to watch in any situation. Um, and that translates to the beginning of the match as well, when he's throwing Tyler Bate around because of the size difference. It's it's not just unsettling, it's actively frightening to watch. The guy is huge. Yeah, um, in, I actually want to backtrack, Leon. Sure. I'm sorry for doing this. No, no, it's okay. Sorry, uh, I got ahead no, I was going to say, at the start of your point, um, you mentioned about how this felt like a big show, both in like the presentation and yeah. the, the location of it. Compare that to last week, the growth of this company has uh, undergone during just um, three to four years for... It, 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 you know, it, it can't be understated. It's, it's to go from... Yeah, to, to go from those humble beginnings to that, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, go, going back, back to Volta there, um, you mentioned how he has his imperial image hence the name Imperium that came about there next to UK that definitely that was definitely kept in mind when deciding upon a name for this ring camp-esque faction that, that yep. was presented there um, Volt, it's, I think it's so hard in this day and age to be a a wrestler that's very much his own man a Volter is that um, it's in a sense that you know when you've watched a Volter match there's um, certain traits that you expect there with, with the chops, with expecting another man to be absolutely massacred, but very much in his own style. I was going to say, I mean, uh, I imagine you definitely know when you've wrestled a Volta match because you've got no chest left. 
Um, and that and that obviously plays a role in this in this particular match as well. Um, it's it's a long match. It's it's I would imagine 25, 30 minutes long. Um, and so here's the thing. And again, I'm I, I'm coming back to another comparison here, but let's think about well in fact let's not make a WWE comparison let's make an NJPW comparison so one of the again I've watched NJPW matches I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near being able to discuss at any length with any authority anything about the company but um, I've seen enough to get an impression that for me that Japanese strong style and I've seen it with Nakamura in WWE as well incidentally is one of the reasons why I'm not as fond of it as I am of the quote WWE style unquote is that oftentimes I feel like they start to get a little directionless late on. So it feels to me when I'm watching them, it feels very much like the narrative progresses to a certain point and then they go around in a circle and then boom, it ends. Um, and obviously I think it's fair to say that Japanese strong style has had an overwhelming influence on the way that the ring product across America has and and Britain for that matter has gone. Um, I think I think it's it's self evident when you watch the way that, that in ring fashion has changed, even in mainstream American professional wrestling. Um, so again, and sort of to 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 reinforce what I was saying at the top of the show as well, I was really really worried about seeing that but actually what you get is something that's much closer to that quote-unquote wwe style because it tells a narrative that progresses from point a to point c or z or whatever you want to say um the match it feels is constantly evolving constantly moving forwards um you get a sense that they're both uh constantly adapting to the other one which is a great touch um there's, there's a couple of cliche moments in there I'm not so fond of. The moment where they have a bit of a strike off and, and everybody stops selling for a span of 30 seconds. It just always goes over well mm-hmm. with live crowds, but it just isn't for me, and I see it a lot. Yeah, um, the logic goes out the window at that point. Yeah, um, but but generally speaking, that's not enough of a negative to take away from the, the overwhelming number of positives, I think. Um and one of the things that I picked up on, and I'm, uh, I've got a couple of big comparisons to make as we go through the show here, but the first thing is um, uh, Tyler Bates' comebacks, um, I think, are wonderful uh, because they embody, for me, the spirit of what, always, of what always made Bret Hart's comebacks work so brilliantly well. And you know how big a Bret Hart guy I am, so that's a huge compliment coming from me. Um, because, And I think it's all rooted in the fact that of the size difference, you know, they make it, they make it, yes. the camera makes a particular point of emphasizing that size difference at the, at the beginning. Um, because it's, it is a size difference. It's not a strength difference. It's a size difference. And I think that that, that aspect is key because it means that when, when bait is making his comebacks, whether it's in a test of strength or picking Volta up, um, it makes them feel hope genuinely more hopeful and and there's something weirdly elating about seeing this guy who's like half the size of the other guy but just yeah. as strong give him what for mm. i think to that point um it, it's always a fantastic image when a much smaller baby face or, or just well don't you need to bring alignments to when a much smaller wrestler gets that comeback against a larger wrestler but um Obviously, there's the emotional aspect of it. Well, you know, we've got the heart to do it. But with Tyler Bate, what makes him such an, an interesting case is you know that he actually has this 
fantastic core strength so when you get the type of spot where for example if, in a, if he's in a sleeper which you'll see in this match yep. you can fully believe that when he does pick up Volta in this case that he can physically do that despite the fact that he's smaller so it makes for a great image because there is this big difference but it's also not outside the realms of possibility uh, I think that with Tyler Bay ev- everything is believable um, you've obviously got the heart element to it that so he's got the heart to continue but you, you're not you, you know you can't question whether it's possible because it is for him uh, yeah absolutely and I, and it's the fact that they are of it's the fact he's so he's uncannily strong for a, for a, you know you, you usually associate smaller wrestlers with speed over strength don't you but um, he can do it all what's the um What's the the story behind this one, Leaf? Because uh, the with with the match we covered last week, Osprey Havoc, you had a, a pre-match hype video um, that sort of explained it. I the video I watched for this one was the one you linked me to, which is the free presentation of it. So I didn't watch it in the context of the the overall pay-per-view progress. Provide just the right, match in yeah. isolation for free. So if there was a pre-match video. I didn't see it. Um, so for, for my benefit, but also for the benefit of the folks listening, um, do you want to set the story up a little bit? Absolutely. Um, it was actually done some, somewhat on the, the fly, this in the sense that they did have for most of the year, Travis Banks as big heel champion. Um, Volta beat him um, at one of the chapters. You know, it might have been, it might be as little as just a couple of months beforehand uh, to become his new champion. So this is very sort of fresh in Volta's, Ray in this defence against Tyler Bate. Um, what happened was Progress delivered a concept called Free and In, where um, across the US tour that were going going on as well as a couple of chapters, um, so being their usual shows, um, they decided that for this main event at Wembley, whoever could win three matches in a row, uh, the first pick up three, three wins in a row there, would actually end up... Um, being part of this main event. Oh. Um, I say the first, actually, if more than one wrestler that it was going to be a multi-man match, but Tyler Bate was the only one to complete that concept, hence how he got the title shot. Um, but there was always a sense that progress of wanting to build towards this because Tyler Bate was in the semi-finals of their annual um, Super Strong Style 16 tournament where um, he had to forfeit due to injury and instead Zach Sabre Jr. won it and with winning that tournament got to choose um, got to have a title shot and pick when they wanted it so it always it felt very much to the, the fans at the time as well that Tyler Bate was meant to win that and this was this concept was delivered as a new way to get to get from A to B, really. Um, in terms, then, of the actual story between the two men, once that match was established, it was very much in interviews of Volta putting over Tyler Bate for being a big, strong boy, as he calls himself, but emphasising the boy and um, saying that it, Volta was calling himself a big, strong man. It's very much in the sense that... <laughs> no, it, was, it was great to listen to, honestly. Yeah, I'd recommend um, watching the chapter version of this. But um, essentially... You get that very much in the match with uh, Volta taunting uh, Tyler Bate to start with, and there's almost that. It's almost a match of two halves where there's that sudden point where Volta takes Tyler Bate seriously, becomes more and more desperate to put him away. But during the first part of the match, it does lend itself to the story that um, they had been trying to tell. Um, one thing that you may have noticed as well, and then uh, I maybe just go on to another point here, but. Sure. You made character comparisons earlier with both 
different elements of NJPW and WWE, but with WWE, this is to, to differ here, it would have been very much stated that Pete Dunne and Trent Seven were at ringside along with Timothy Thatcher mm. and Volta. They would have came out with them in the entrance. You would have had a nice nameplate popping up saying with these names. Mm-hmm. Um, even like in the arena, there wasn't a, a moment where b- beforehand these we watched these men come out and make the individual entrance. I remember being sat there in the stands with mates and we actually had to point out to each other that, hold on, these they're stable mates at a ringside. So I felt that would, it, said, it, it really built up that big fight feel that they were at ringside to simply watch and support their, their stable mate as opposed to making themselves part of the narrative. And not at one point was there interference between them and it, they did a great job of telling the story of man versus boy and other people wanted to wanted to be there ringside for for this really and that's it's a very good very fair and very true point i think um and it wasn't until were they there the whole while because it wasn't until like 20 minutes in that i even noticed any of Mm. them were stood at, at ringside which i think speaks to two things the first which you've just said, which is, uh, you know, how unintrusive they are at ringside. Uh, but second of all, um, how enthralling the story that's being told in the ring is as well. Because if if they're not telling an exciting story in the ring, your attention's wandering. Oh, it's Pete Dunne's at ringside. Look. Um, so uh, yeah, and and I think authenticity is is probably the word. It it makes it feel authentically high stakes, and it's a nice silent touch to uh convince you of the reality of the world that you're that you're indulging in the world that you're jumping into uh, and the fact as well i mean one thing that i loved on that on that note is that uh, you know when the match is all said and done and again trying to avoid spoilers um the stable mates all rush into the ring and you get this wonderful moment where they're all in the ring and they're all sort of it's it's kind of a little bit tense but it's it's the tension isn't the point and in, and instead you get this it feels heartfelt there's nothing over the top. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not flagrantly played for on commentary or anything. But just the fact that everybody rushes into the ring to check on everyone after the fact, and they're all in the ring together, looking at each other and stuff. It's just a wonderful, authentically emotional moment, and I think that that plays heavily to the strengths of the match. Um, talking about you, you keep mentioning the different, you know, big strong man versus big strong boy very much the heart of the story that they tell and uh, but it translates as well one thing that i miss dearly in wrestling everywhere i see it these days is that oftentimes i feel like the match that culminates a story could be any match or rather could come at the end of any story i should say um matches to these days to me always feel dangerously similar to one another um and it's 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 less and less frequent at least in my experience that the matches carry the story over into the way that the story is told in the match itself that culminates said story what happens here is the very design of it reflects the story that's being told because when tyler bates on the offense uh he's leaping all over the place you know people talk about um someone um taking spots like a champion or whatever to sell the size of the other guy it's not just when he's taking moves that bates throwing himself around like every single bit of offense he deals out he's leaping there's, there's a moment where he yeah. literally lunges off the ropes like he leaves his feet um and then when you compare that to to volta who wrestles with a, a constant sense of momentum everything that he does has a sense of momentum about it so it, he feels and looks like a, a just a relentless juggernaut um 
so much so that when these two things marry up, uh, I recently wrote on Lords of Pain, well, I say recently as of recording, uh, back in August, I wrote a, a column for Lords of Pain that broke down the main event of SummerSlam this year, which was a match that I absolutely adored between Rollins and Lesnar. Um, uh, and I mean adored. Um, and this match put me in mind of that, the structure of it, the the way that, again, it wasn't a strength difference, but it was a size difference. Um, I'm sorry you can hear that in the background. My housemate set off the fire alarm. <laughs> We'll soldier on through. Um, just don't burn alive for the sake of my show relief. I wouldn't want you to do that. Um, uh, so, yeah, so um, to the point at which all of this, and this is the ridiculous comparison that I said I was going to make earlier in the show, though I don't think it's that ridiculous, quite honestly, particularly the opening moments where you have the stare down between the two in the middle of the ring, put me in mind of, of Hogan and Andre at WrestleMania three. Yeah, I was about to say as well, on that same comparison, it was a body slam that finally got vaulted down. Yeah. Uh, I'd made the same comparison here, actually. And um, you mentioned Tyler Bate leaping all over the place. What I liked was Volta rolled out the ring straight away. And the the leaping around, uh, as you so put in, you know, brilliant way to put it there, felt like it was... There was purpose to it. Yeah. As soon as the body slam was done, Tyler Bate didn't leave it there. He jumped to vault and rolled to the outside. With it. And it wasn't just doing a spot for the sake of it. It's like, right, I finally had that moment where I put him down. He's got back up there on the outside. I need to do what I can to get him back down again. There he was like a dart. Um, I like the fact that I think the Hogan-Andre comparisons are very much meant to be there um, with some of the spots that they did. Okay. Okay, excellent. Well, I mean that again just goes to prove what we were talking about last week. You know that these, uh, that the product is treated with a with a gravity and that and uh, and I I don't know why I say that. Why I'm shocked when I say that. Of course it's going to be. But I, I guess I'm as someone who doesn't uh, necessarily surround himself with with wrestling from these kind of environments. I guess it it maybe speaks to my ignorance a little bit. But. Um, the, uh, there's that wonderful moment as well where towards the end it might be the Tyler driver or something that he hits and he hits it and then he rolls out the ring himself just from like the, the impact of it and then immediately has to crawl back into the ring to get the cover and just that little yeah. moment there uh, I think things like that are a lost because obviously uh, that it's not again I'm not going to spoil the result of the match itself but for that particular moment it doesn't result in a conclusion and so um, what happens is is the the to use the cliche term the finish is protected and that's something that feels like a lost art these days ddp used to do it all the time you know he'd hit the diamond cutter and if it wasn't going to end the match there'd always be that pause it feels like a lost art that you don't really see much anymore um the other thing that i wanted to mention here is that that the match starts off with a lot of chain wrestling a lot of technical wrestling i sometimes roll my eyes when this happens these days because sometimes it feels like wrestlers do that because they feel like that's how a big match has to start because in the past that's how big matches always started with chain wrestling with that kind of thing you think about something like angle and michaels or you know any michaels heart match sammy Zayn is a repeat culprit of doing it for the sake of doing it it doesn't and not so here because that chain wrestling that technical wrestling doesn't just come at the beginning of the match and then is forgotten about it's spliced in through the whole thing you mentioned i mean i love the fact you mentioned it earlier that the sleeper hold is really a prominent a really prominent move in throughout the entire match um uh, uh the uh, and the, just the visual of seeing someone like volta lock it in on tyler Bate is breathtaking in and of itself um and again that's 
that is a Bret Hart trick, you know, is is to chop things up a little bit and to fit them around like a like a, a puzzle instead of a strictly segmented progression from, you know, in, in the first five minutes we'll do this and then in the second and sometimes I feel like I, I see that in a wrestling match and, and this isn't the case for this. So I loved I, I guess we call it the ebb and flow of it, um, and you, mm. you you you'll get moments where you know you get these strung out moments where one of them's in a sleeper hold, um, yeah. and uh, I mean in a lot of I'm I'm talking myself here into saying that it's a, it, the match is classically designed because you get something a moment that you don't see anymore again, which The Rock always used to do, which is where Tyler Bates in the sleep hold and he does the trick with the three arms, you know, where he lifts the arm up once, he lifts the arm up twice, lifts the arm up third time, and then he, he gets his comeback. And again, at least in mainstream wrestling, you don't really see that anymore, and it's still effective to this day. Um, but then in between all of these moments, you'll get moments like when <laughs> when Walter just levels Tyler Bates with a chop to the chest, and it sounds like a cannon's gone off, and Pat Tyler Blake literally flies out the ring. It's it's a marvelously constructed mm-hmm. piece of work. I think it's to their credit, it's amazing that you, you are so invested in the sleeper hold, a headlock, a key lock, yeah. crossface. Considering what we normally get with the, um, I hate to go back to duty again, but um, the standard duty TV product. The amount of times I've seen like Baron Corbin putting someone in a chin lock, you know, like yeah, anything quite. like that. Um, it's these days that type of style is you, you can get so drawn out of it naturally like you're sort of like premeditated um well can't get words out there but you, you know you know what i mean to yeah. sort of expect to to expect to hate that so to speak here i was believing every single thing of it. I, when tyler bait went for that and any form of um submission or rest hold i was getting the impression that he wanted to cause Volta to become the sleeping giants he needed to try and find a way to stop his power game for Volta it was a way just to try to douse this young man's heart um, it was you very much believed why they were going for these it wasn't just a case of we're going for these moves just because it's a typical thing to do this is what you expect to see in a wrestling match you got the logic behind it every single time absolutely and I think it's you know it's a salient point you make attention uh, spans these days of, of audiences in any pop culture medium, I think, are a lot shorter. And so to to uh, to be able to keep people invested through what are essentially very long, very slow portions of the action is a, is a testament to uh, not only to what they achieve with this match, but to what wrestling can be when everything makes sense. When there's a when there's a tangible reasoning behind every move moment that they that they make. Um, for me, though, the real because we we we've we've gushed about this already for about half an hour, would you believe? But so we're fast running up on closing time here. But the real for me, the real trump card, and it's interesting that you were there because I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about this. The real trump card for me was the atmosphere. Um, just watching the match on television, the the and by the atmosphere, I just don't I don't just mean um, the vocal crowd. I mean literally like the intangible atmosphere. It felt. Uh, close. It felt dark. It felt heady. The the commentary team were talking about how hot it had, it had gotten by that point, um, and and because that's then so tangible and so infectious. And there are very few wrestling shows. I could maybe name one or two off the top of my head where I feel like I'm transported to the to the place where it's happening, to the stadium where it's happening. There's one or two where I get that tangible that tangible sensation of the actual atmosphere. Uh, it really came across to me with this, and and it means that. You know, every every minute of the match, you can feel the physical effort that the two men are having to put in, and it's draining, and it's and it's it's 
it's just so palpable. Everything just feels like it's within arm's reach and you feel like you're drained yourself. Um, and if I got all of that through the TV screen, watching the match in isolation without anything else, I can only imagine what it was like in person. Yeah, I, mean, I still remember exactly how warm it was. It was as if, you know, it was as if you were at WrestleMania, it was an outdoor stadium in the with the sunshine coming through. There's been so much pirates already here to the place. That's what it felt like just in Wembley Stadium. Yeah. I don't know if it exactly why it felt as, you know, as hot as it did, but it was warm in that place. Um, as well as that, we'd already seen a good good few hours worth of wrestling. Uh, I think a lot of the crowd had travelled specifically for the show from elsewhere, so there's a real sense of like people sort of unnerved at first, like a bit worried about the time, potentially going. The way that they managed to get the crowd so invested into it, you know, by the, the end of the match especially, um, considering they had so much again in that sense, it was incredible. I think there was a particular moment just before the finish where... The crowd, I know you meant it's not just due to the crowd, and that's why I start off, you know, not talking about that. But I can't not mention the crowd reaction sure, sure. for Bate just before the end of the finish when he had that final comeback, so to speak. Um, I, again, I'm trying my best not to give away any form of result, but <laughs> there's that moment where you know exactly where I mean, where the crowd just yep. lifted for him, um, which. I think as well, Tyler Bates did. In, in, Tyler Bates and Volta did incredible to get the crowd so firmly behind one baby face, considering they were coming into this with almost equal support. Yeah, it felt very much as if it was designed to um, get the crowd behind Tyler without selling Volta as being any form of heel, still keeping his alignment there. It was, mm. It's beautifully done. Absolutely, um, and uh, the match itself is is absolutely tremendous. I can't recommend it enough to anybody who may be listening, whether you've w- ever watched Progress Wrestling or not. Um, I'd seen a few shows. I actually had a Progress Wrestling subscription at one point some years back, um, and watched the two first two or three uh, chapters, I think. But I never had the time to really sink myself full term into it. So, um, but. I can't recommend this enough. It's Volta versus Tyler Bate for the Progress World Championship at Chapter 76, Hello Wembley. If you don't want to uh, rent the entire show or subscribe to their on-demand service, which I highly recommend you do anyway, um, then uh, you can check this particular... I'm not sure where you'd find it, but you can certainly check out this particular match for free. They uploaded it for free, I presume, Leaf, because, like you say, they'd run over long, and so a lot of fans didn't get to see it. It was, yeah. Um, so uh, you can there's no excuse not to watch it it's, you don't have to pay for it it's easy to find go out and check it out it's absolutely tremendous if you've never watched any indie wrestling before you'll love it because it's very very friendly to and I'm you know, I, I can say this personally. It's very friendly to WWE trained eyes, um, and you know the characters should be familiar. Everything about it is is tremendous. Leaf, I can't thank you enough for recommending it. It's no problem. I know wrapping it up, but one spot that we have mentioned, which I do want to sure okay get your thought on was. The airplane spin with the burning hammer position. Um, the fact that there's just that split second before Tyler Bate hits the Tyler driver where you felt like if it hadn't taken that split second, he might have got the free. Um, I love that. Is, yeah, that I, the, I is that the one where he flies out the ring and crawls back in? Yeah, that's exactly yeah, the yeah. one. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a great moment. Um, and but also, you know, even if that hadn't have happened, it's a case in point where it would be a false finish. I wouldn't have an issue with because I guess it. 
I was so enthralled with the story they were telling and I was so into uh, the match and they, they, they had my attention in their grasp so firmly that you don't, I'm, I'm not in the mindset of thinking, oh, for God's sake, they've done a false finish, you know? So um, if, if, if you, as speaking from my own personal perspective, if you, if you pull me into it and I'm there with you, then it's not going to be an issue when moments like that happen. But like you say, uh, you know, that, that split second between crawling back in and getting the cover in it and, and just coming up so short, it's, it was, was highly dramatic and, and everything about, I mean, the, the one last word is the, just the fact that it was a clean match, you know, it wasn't, there was no shenanigans. Um, there was no sort of real cheating. There was no outside interference. There was no stipulation. Uh, the majority, not all of it, but the majority of the match took place in the ring. Um, you know, there was no kind of head scratching moments where they played fast and loose with the rules of a wrestling match. It was a clean, solid wrestling contest with a clean, solid and definitive conclusion. Uh, and again, I think that that can't be overstated the value of that especially at the end of such a well-structured and, and effectively told story in a well-structured match I think is is uh, worth its weight in gold yeah unfortunately I think by the time this will have been aired we'll have had that takeover Cardiff match and so much of it will be spent on Imperium battling whatever baby faces yeah. um, come out to oppose them Trent Seven obviously being one of them um, Volta obviously being a heel in that match but there's just going to be far too much shenanigans this is if you listen to this show having only what's the takeover Cardiff match and um, obviously I'm just predicting here what's going to happen with that but if it turns out exactly how I've said it watch this match as a palate cleanser see what these two can do without the need to tell that kind of story and you'll be amazed I think it's worth saying as well that uh, Lord knows I have my issues with um the general production style of how matches happen in both NXTs um, and uh, where more is definitely more and this isn't the case with this match so um, so there's another reason to hit it up we've given you 15,000 different reasons to go and watch it basically turn this show off folks go watch it right now um, Leif thank you for joining me the last two weeks it's been a pleasure to have you on I hope you'll come back at some point in the far flung future when I've worked my way through my roster of guest hosts to come back on and uh, and talk a little bit more about a couple of other British indie matches Absolutely. I'll give you a spoiler now. We'll want to talk about Volta versus Jordan Devlin at OTT. Oh, I'm, I'm a huge Jordan Devlin fan, so I'm definitely into that. Um, okay, brilliant. Well, thank you again. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Anything to plug before you head off? Uh, nothing, really. Not really doing what's these days, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, well, thanks for coming. No worries. Take care. One more thank you for my good friend, Leaf. He will be back in the future of SEID. But until then, I do have some things to plug before I sign off. You can, of course, contact me in any number of ways to let me know any thoughts you may have had about anything we've discussed on this show or on previous shows. You can do so by looking me up on Twitter. Just tweet me at LOP Plan. You can look me up at Facebook. Just look up Samuel Plan. You can email me at Samuel.Plan101 at gmail.com. You can alternatively drop me a comment on LordsOfPain.net on any of my columns posts or podcast posts you can of course do so at Spreaker as well or best of all contact me via the LOP forums just click the link at the top of lordsofpain.net 
follow the link through, sign up, get an account. Whether you want to write columns or not, it's a great place to hang out. I genuinely believe the best corner of the IWC going. Next week, I'll be back and I will be joined by a familiar name to all Lords of Pain fans and all Lords of Pain radio followers. Ms. Fan of the Legacy Series fame will be joining me and will be breaking down a classic Ring of Honor match. We're going to be looking at Samoa Joe versus Christopher Daniels versus CM Punk versus James Gibson in an elimination match for the Ring of Honor Championship from the 8th of December 2005, or it might be uh, August the 12th. It depends whether Ms. Fan has given me the date in English or in American terms. But we're going to be looking at that next week, so can't wait for that. Check that match out ahead of time if you want to tune in. And until next week, stay safe, folks, and be sure to have a good one.